This is a podcast from Minute Media. In the fall each year we all congregate The bounce all gathered at the church of Pilgrim The scriptures reading from the book of Munson Our favorite verse, my God, a freshman German can obnoxious, what you'll face Ain't nothing finer in the land Now the 3,000 of our best friends It's Saturday in that thing Welcome to the Saturday Night Athens podcast, where a Georgia Bulldogs show by dogs fans for dogs fans. I'm your host, Herschel Gurley, here as always with my co-host, Boss Dog. And Boss, for the first time in our lives, we can say Georgia Bulldogs national champions. How's that feel, baby? Go effing dog. Feels wonderful. Cutting some onions on Monday night. You were in the house. Brother was in the house. Man, God, it was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah, man, I've had a bunch of people ask me, like, oh, how do you feel and all this? And I'll be honest with you, we're taping on Friday now. The reason we're taping on Friday is is because I left my voice back at Lucas Oil Stadium. It still ain't fully back yet. It's still making the road trip back home here to the low country. I'm still kind of in the clouds about it, man. It doesn't feel real. Like, does it feel real to you yet? feels like somebody's about to wake me up. As I've said all season, our fan base is the most – cannot be happy about anything. So there's been transfers that have happened. There's some people declaring. There's coaching rumors going around. People complaining about everything. And it's like, I'd probably say about 70% are you know freaking out about that stuff instead of enjoying the fact we just won the national championship. I don't care. I could care less right now. Every single player on the team could enter the transfer portal. Anybody but Kirby Smart could leave and I could care less. We were national yeah. champions. That's all that matters. Yeah, man, I don't even know how to I don't even know how to process it. I really don't. I've just been kind of replaying it and replaying the weekend being an indie. And I still have not watched the TV copy. I've been saving it just when I have like four hours to myself to really kind of take that in and kind of relive it a little bit. So yeah, I mean, obviously the excitement's still gonna go because they're having the celebration tomorrow, the parade. Uh it's gonna start, I believe it. 12.30, am I right about that? Or is it noon? Noon or 12.30? One of the two. I think, I think the parade starts at noon. I think they're supposed to be in the stadium by 12.30. I think that's the plan. Well, I the celebration starts at 2. So, like, everything happening in the stadium starts at 2 o'clock. Which, have you seen how they painted the stadium? How they painted the oh, field? It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Beautiful. I mean... I, I hope they keep the black end zones for the home opener. Because I think that that would just be iconic. I hope they rock the national champions emblem on like the 25s or the 30s, wherever they put it on. You know what I'm saying? Like not, yeah. not two on each end, but like kind of catacornered from each other. Like yeah. at the 25 and at the 25. Oh man, it's It looks so sick. Uh, but I agree. Love the black end zones. Looks so sharp. So yeah, I would love to see them keep that. The ticket allotment is is gone so there will be ninety three thousand people in sanford stadium on saturday afternoon which is fantastic one more saturday in athens for this college football season which is freaking fantastic yeah so i want to start with this for me let's talk about well i'm gonna ask you do you want to talk about the game first or do you want to talk about like the weekend experience in indy and the consumption of the national title game Let's start with the weekend and let's go into the title game after. Let's just start from start to finish. 
Okay. So I flew out on Saturday, flew into Louisville because flights to Indy were outrageous. So I flew in to Louisville from Charleston and there were some dogs on the plane actually got a comment on of our Instagram post that John from dog days was on my flight. So I ended up getting to chat with him and his wife at the DC airport. They were both super, super nice. Just really awesome people. Um, loved getting to hear a little bit about the dog days story. So that was really cool. Good start to the trip. Uh, landed in Louisville, got the rental car, drove into Indy. Cause I got there about six o'clock or something and checked into my hotel. And then I was there by myself Saturday because uncle Chris didn't get there till Sunday. So went to, went to the Pacers game on Saturday night. It was a freezing rainy outside in Indy when I left the hotel and they had like black ice all over the sidewalks and the roads. Homie, your boy saw at least four people like feet in the air, busted their ass on the black ice. Like it was <laughs> bananas. You talk about being in a whole different weather ecosystem. It was a mess. <laughs> so walked down to Cambridge Fieldhouse to watch the Pacers play the Jazz. And, you know, the Pacers aren't really good. And the Jazz are good. So I expected the Jazz to just blow the doors off of them. Well, it ended up being a really good ball game. Pacers won. Saw a career high in points from DeMontis Sabonis for the Pacers. I think he dropped like 46 or something Saturday night. Game Ridge was electric. You talk about a awesome, awesome arena. Like, if you ever get a chance to go to a Pacers game in Indy, do it. They had local beers all throughout the arena. Great sight lines everywhere. I moved around a bunch, sat in a bunch of different seats. Had a really, really good time. Um, then I went back to the hotel and just kind of hung out with the bed. Went and picked Uncle Chris up at the airport the next morning. Homie, I like parked in the garage and didn't tell him. And I walk into the terminal and I had gotten a like a white sheet of paper and a black Sharpie from the guys at the hotel. And I had his last name written on the, the paper with a big gigantic <laughs> go dogs on it. Like I was like I was concierge HG there to pick him up. He just comes off the freaking jetway, just dying laughing. <laughs> so he videoed all that. That was a funny start to the trip. Airport was cool, man. It was decked out with like the 2022 CFP symbol. And they had some cool stuff in there. So it was real festive. And we went back. And at the game Saturday night, so many people had, was like, I was like, where should I go eat? And I was expecting like all these fancy places. And I'm telling you, like nine out of 10 people said, you got to go to Kilroy's. It's the best sports bar in Indianapolis. I'm like, well, if all y'all are telling us this and they all go, and it sounds weird, but you have to get the breadsticks. I'm like, well, you don't have to tell me twice. So we went from the hotel to Kilroy's. It was popping. I mean, just shoulder to shoulder, could barely get a seat. Um, we got beers there and then got a bunch of food and brother, they were not telling no lies about the breadsticks. They were like, they were shaped like breadsticks, but essentially they were strombolis. They were stuffed with cheese, pepperoni, and sausage. I mean, I would cut you for some Kilroy's breadsticks and I wouldn't think twice about it. <laughs> <laughs> they great. were, they were so good. Plus you're in the Midwest. So they had cheese curds. So we got cheese curds and man, we just had a really good time. Got a little bit buzz there. And then that was pretty close to the convention center where they were having fan fest. So we walked over to fan fest cause 
Bear and Stanford Steve were doing like a podcast taping live at the Fan Fest. So we went over trying to say what's up to Bear. So we did. We got to see him at the end a little bit, talked to him a bit, um, said they had, you know, had a good show and everything because we caught like the tail end of it. But it was good to see him. Bear is quickly becoming one of our favorites to have on the show. I mean, he's he's world class. So it was good to get to see him in person, talk to him a little bit. Um, and dude, so then we went back to the hotel, just kind of chill out a little bit because we, we got a little bit aggressive at Kilroy. So we need a little buzz break. But um, we decided to go out to supper. Right. And I had told Chris, I said, look, man, let's just go try to we'll walk in somewhere and just sit at the bar and eat. Just thinking, you know, places we packed, but we'll be able to sit at the bar. I am not exaggerating. We went to at least seven places, maybe more. Could not get in anywhere. Not at the bar, not at like the stand-up tabletops, nothing. I mean, that entire city was packed and rolling, and it was pretty much 90% dogs. Like, I know the stadium was probably more like 70-30, but the city itself, it was dogs everywhere. It was essentially like they took not just Athens, but like, half of the state of Georgia and just smacked it right down in the circle city. Like it was bananas. Also Sunday night is when it started to get real cold. It was just insanely cold. And we, we finally were like, forget this. Like we're not going to walk anywhere else because it's just, it's like the Arctic tundra and I don't want to be outside anymore. So we went back to the hotel and we ordered in pizza from this place, a bunch of people had suggested to get pizza from, and we just drank beers in the room and ate pizza till probably like 11. They were like, all right, we should probably go to bed because we got a full day tomorrow. So we got up, went immediately to Indianapolis Motor Speedway for the Kiss the Bricks tour, which was, I really had no expectations for it one way or the other. So, I mean, I'm not like a big race fan or any of those things, but the Indy 500 is one of my sports bucket list events that I want to go to. So I wanted to go do a tour and kind of see it all and kiss the bricks and all those type things. So they take you on a bus and they do a loop around the track itself, which would have been cool for me all by itself. And they have somebody give you like a tour while you're going around the track. Well, dude, they stopped the bus at the start slash finish line, which is where the row, iconic row of bricks is that all the Indy 500 winners kiss and drink the milk and all that. And got to take pictures there. And uh, this is the funniest story. And he's not going to get mad at me telling it because we laughed so hard. So you take a picture like on your knees at the bricks and then you take one kissing it and they have like a fake full milk jug bottle. And so the guy takes the pictures and we go and look at them and Chris doesn't even show me the picture. He goes, we got to take another one. And I'm like, why do we have to take another one? And he's like, just look at the picture and you'll know. So he flips the picture around and the one where we're leaned down kissing the bricks, his ass crack is hanging out for all the world to see. And he goes, I knew it was going to happen too. Cause I could feel the cold. <laughs> so dude, we were just dying laughing. So we ended up going back and getting the second picture, but I told him, I was like, I really just want to post the first one just cause it's so much funnier. Yeah, so that was like, I mean, we laughed about that pretty much all morning. But um, they also had the, I don't even know what you call it, but like the big, 
kiosk is the wrong word, but the big thing that would have all the race car numbers on it that goes like 300 feet in the air, probably not that high, like 100 feet in the air. They had it with all the CFP logos and stuff going in and out of it. It was really cool. So we got like a couple cool pictures with that. So that was kind of how we started the day. And dude, if, if Sunday was cold, Monday was like, we have relocated this game to Moscow. I mean, it was Russia cold, brother. Like, I we get back to hotel and I told him, I go, I'm legitimately going to get dressed. Like, we're going to play a one o'clock kick in the middle of February. Like, I had on full, like, football tights, full football undershirt tights, and then all my clothes over top of it just so we could make the walk out the tailgate and stuff. And we were still aggressively cold. Like, we saw, oh, so dude, we ran into Hunter, our good buddy Hunter, friend of the show from the Spikes guy, ran into Hunter and his parents. Great to meet his parents. We were all so cold. You could tell, like, everybody's like, okay, we're all happy to see each other and we're all glad to talk, but we also all need to keep moving. So we're going to talk to y'all later. <laughs> like, we were all <laughs> so cold. Oh, it was so funny. But so we had decided we were going to go over to the Icon Source tailgate, which, if you're not familiar with Icon Source, go check them out. It's the, group that drew butler is involved with doing all the good work with college athletes securing nil deals and stuff so cool concept and we walked down to their spot i think it was at this place called like stadium tavern which was not too far from the stadium and we get there and most of it's outside but dude, they had free beer like i mean it was just flowing like wine it was fantastic so we hung out there and Originally, when we got there, we're like, all right, dude, it's probably going to get too cold. We're going to hang for like an hour, and we're going to have to go find like an indoor spot to post up until game time. Well, we had such a good time and drank so many beers there that we ended up staying until like 530. I mean, we were there almost five hours, and it was incredible. A good group of people there. We got to meet a lot of folks, talked to them about the game. I mean, there was probably, I would bet at some point, probably between 750 Oh, yeah, I think that's that's probably fair, like 750, maybe even a thousand people there between the tents, the outdoors and the inside. It was a good chunk of people there. So fun event. They had the Icon Source bus there, which was sick. I, mean, I don't even know if I told you the story yet. So we had obviously talked to Aaron Murray and Ty Fricks about the Players Lounge for the preview show. Well, I've never met Aaron in person before, but we get on the Icon Source bus just to look at it. And literally sitting right there is Aaron. So I'm like, what's up, Aaron? It's Seth from Saturday Night. You know, we talked to you on Thursday. Dude, I didn't even know if he'd like remember me or, or know who he had talked to because I'm sure they talked to 100 people each week, especially with the launch and everything going. Dude, he stands up. Seth, what's up, man? Comes in straight for the hug. It was awesome. Hot start to the day. So Chris is like dumbfounded. He like can't even speak. We walk off the bus and he goes, I cannot believe that just happened. <laughs> <laughs> so also this adds on before the Rose Bowl. Chris and I ran into Aaron and at the time, I don't, I don't think him and Sharon were engaged yet. I think they were just, uh, I think it was just boyfriend, girlfriend. They were still dating then. Well, she, I mean, they could not have been nicer and took a picture with Aaron in front of the Rose Bowl and Sharon took it for us. They were super nice and they won obviously. So I've always posted that before big games and said, I'm not superstitious, but I'm a little stitious. And if you want the dogs to win, Aaron, we're going to need to recreate this picture at this venue. So now that got pregame dap in and then they won the national title. I mean, I don't know, dude, that's two and oh, so I figured <laughs> out 
Aaron, I mean, we just got to figure it out, brother. Every big game, <laughs> I have to see it for like 30 seconds, dab it up before we roll. So, yeah, so that was funny. We laughed about that. Got to see Drew. It was good to see him. Drew's a great dude. They were had a cool event. I think his dad was there. I think uh, I think Kevin was there. I think we saw him in the tent. We didn't we didn't get to say hello or anything, but it, it was a lot of fun, man. It was a really good kind of like vibe start to that event, right? Like everybody was having a good time. I think everybody was very quietly optimistic about how things were gonna go. So everybody was in a great mood. And man, it was just a really, really fun time and fun start. Well, dude, we found out they opened the stadium at like five o'clock. So I was like, well, let's, let's just go in, man. Like, let's go soak this thing in. It's a national title game. So we walked in the stadium about 530. And you've been to Lucas Oil before? No. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. Very, very nice stadium. I was very impressed. Um, I, I think I actually liked it better than the Benz. It felt less like an indoor stadium. Like it, it, the way the concourses were situated, it was very open, I thought. So it was cool. And the seats we ended up having, we like walk up to the seats. And Chris is kind of like laughing because I think he kind of knew because he's the one that bought the seats. So we walk out to these seats, dude. And we are literally at the 50 on the Bama side. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. Like, this is how this is going to roll right now. And we had no idea how many people were going to end up being in the section from Bama, but ended up being, we got there and almost five minutes after we got there, two dogs fans sat down right beside us. So that was kind of like a good start because you know, you weren't going to be on an Island all by yourself. So that was cool. And then they were having the pregame concert down at, I don't know what they call it. Monument circle or something. And Sam hunt was playing it. So they had the Sam hunt concert playing on the big screen. So in all honesty, dude, we just drank beers watched Sam, Sam Hunt on the big screens and watched all the pregame kind of action before kick. Now, let me get to this. Did y'all get the national anthem on TV? Like, did they broadcast yeah. that? Yeah. Woo! Brother, Natalie Grant. Natalie Grant. I think that's who sang it. Yeah. Maybe best uh, national anthem I've ever experienced. It was incredible. By the time she got done, I was like, I was misty, man. I mean, it was powerful. Really, really good. So that was that was awesome. And then we didn't really know. It kind of looked like all dogs, all dogs. But we didn't really know until they did the coin toss. And when it came up that the dogs won the coin toss, that place erupted like we were in Sanford Stadium. And me and Chris looked at each other like, this is going to be electric all night long. So, all right, now let's get into the game, okay? Because that's kind of our starting experience, and I'll kind of interplay some of the stuff that we experienced during the game as we talk about it. First thing I want to talk to you about is, because we obviously consumed it in different ways, and you probably had it a better way because you had more angles. I'm interested to know your thoughts on, was the Bryce Young fumble, non-fumble a fumble, or did they make the correct call on the field? I think they made the correct call on the. I think it was. I think it was not a fumble. I don't think it was a fumble. I think that it was an incomplete pass, but I think it should have been intentional grounding. There was nowhere for him to throw it. There, yeah, he basically threw it into the ground. Now I don't know. That's where this rule has gotten really sticky with all the a couple of times with the with Georgia games this year is that he's in the grass, so the throws affected, but he basically throws it 
into the ground and he doesn't really throw it at the feet of anyone. So if it's going to be an incomplete pass, which it was in my opinion, because his arm was going forward with the ball in his hand completely, it technically should have been intentional grounding in my opinion. I like, but it wasn't even a discussion for them for it to be intentional grounding. It was just whether it's an incomplete pass or a fumble, the end. Did but you I think, think it, I think it was an incomplete you, pass. Did you think based off them ruling it a fumble and a touchdown on the field that there was enough to overturn it? As soon as they showed the first replay when they when they were reviewing it, I said it was going to be an incomplete pass. His arm was if a like let's say we're doing a hundred percent throw throwing motion, his arm was pr- with the ball in his hand was probably it's almost like a tuck rule type situation. Yeah. Like it was, I'd say probably his arm was probably 50% forward when the ball came out of his hand. Yeah. So the replay, the only kind of replays we saw in the stadium, it almost looked like, yes, his arm was going forward, but part of the reason for the forward momentum was because of the hit less because he was trying to actually throw the ball to an intended receiver. Um, but again, we didn't have, I didn't think we had awesome angles inside the stadium of it we kind of learned it was going to get overturned because the bama fans in our section were getting texts and they all stood back up so we we're like oh dude they're gonna overturn it but um yeah we we didn't get a great angle so that's one of the things i'm interested in seeing i don't mean to jump ahead but given the call on that one were you surprised at the call on stetson's quote-unquote fumble i was surprised that stetson's was called a fumble on the field Yes. And I think once it was called a fumble on the field, I don't think there was enough to overturn it. Now, I've watched that play probably 20 times that day and then the next day. I haven't gone back and watched it since Tuesday. But those two days, I probably like after the game and then the next day through replays, I'm still 50 50 on it one way or another. His arm was coming forward, but when his arm got at the top, right where you would let it go, it's almost like his fingertip was on the tip of the ball and it kind of like just kind of slung out of his hand and his hand went the ball went straight up in the air so it's almost like yes his arm was going forward but when his arm was like started to go forward the ball wasn't in his hand and the ball kind of went straight up by the letter of the law technically i think it is a fumble but i'm still 50 50 on it like how the ref called that a fumble is beyond me so what my dad said was that the rules official on TV had said by the letter of the law, technically, it's a fumble. That's what but he said, yeah. I think visually, how it was tough to process was it didn't look like from the angles we saw that anybody had actually hit him to make it come out. So it's almost like it just came out of his hand funky. Exactly. That's more exactly than it was happened. a more than it was a fumble, right? So like he was um, trying to throw it away. He was trying to throw it away and it just came out of his hand weird. And I also thought player reactions always tell you a lot. And you could tell by all the players in the field's reactions. None of them thought it was a fumble. Even the the Bama player that recovered it, he wasn't recovering it because he thought it was a fumble. It literally just bounced into his hand as he was walking out of bounds. Like that was the other thing where you were like, is this really happening right now? Like all of this is happening. <laughs> I will tell you this though. Uh, probably any other instance in my Georgia viewing history, I would have said, well, that's it. That's the one. There's always one where you go, this, this the curse will live forever. Dude, it immediately happened. I look at Chris, I go, we're going to go right down the field to score now. Like, I, I don't know. It's weird. 
and I felt like the energy in the stadium was that way. I never felt like the air came out, which credit to Georgia fans. Everybody was in it to win it, brother. I feel like in so many other years, the air just would have come out of that arena. And it was almost the exact opposite. I feel like it galvanized the stadium in a lot of ways because, I mean, dude, they go down, score the touchdown. And I thought the defense did a nice job of kind of bowing up, even though they scored the touchdown. It wasn't easy pickings. And so I think that gave people some faith, like, okay, look, this thing ain't over yet. Like, they're not actually going to score unless it's a 15-yard field like it was on that play. So we feel good about the offense getting themselves together. But for me, maybe the biggest play call of the game was after the Bama touchdown. Todd Munkin coming out and calling drop back deep out to Jermaine Burton. Because I thought that was the ultimate tone setter that we're letting it rip, baby. If we're going out, we're going out guns blazing. Because don't lie to me now. Did you not think they're coming out right there and draw play? Yeah. I thought they were going to do a zone. I thought that was going to be a zone read, Stetson run. That's what I thought yeah. they were going to do. So when he came out and Jermaine runs a beautiful route and Stetson puts it right on the body, I looked at Chris and I said, oh, we're cooking with gas now, baby. And let's be serious. If, if Jermaine doesn't get tackled, the touchdown happens two plays earlier. I mean, he was going to be butt naked. Like, oh, Jock yeah. straps everywhere he tackled. at 45. Yeah, tackle. Yeah. I mean, and the, which, and Munkin called five straight passes. He didn't call one run on that, that, that drive. I know. I loved it. I loved it. And, uh, man, also, too, and uh, we kind of got ahead of myself, ahead of ourselves a little bit. I want to talk about this because, for me, this three-play sequence was the football game. A little over three and a half minutes left in the third quarter. Bama is on play, I guess, 16 of a 17-play drive, third and 11. They throw a little, I don't even know if it was a post corner or, or what kind of route it was. And I, can't, I, I don't know the kid's name. The wide out for Bama number 11. Is that right? Is he 11? Maybe I'm misremembering that. Are you talking about Hall? Yeah. How do you say his first name? A.G. 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 Hall. Yeah, that's where it messes me up. Because the way his name is written is way different from how I would pronounce it, right? So, dude, A.G. Hall drops yeah. a ball, drops a ball where he's wide open that he probably catches 999 times out of 1,000. And just that in and of itself. Like, even if they had kicked the field goal, I went, oh, man, something good's happening right now. Like, they never dropped that pass. But then for, Lorenz, for Jalen Carter to get the block and then the very next play James takes it 67 yards and Kirby's running the 60 yard dash with him. Like those three plays, that was the ball games. That was it right there. Everything changed because it goes from 12, six to 13, nine and not three plays, but those three plays were the catalyst for the momentum, the downhill momentum going in George's direction. In my opinion, I also thought, and I posted a picture of it today on IG could you get any sweeter, more beautiful symmetry than a blocked field goal in a massive moment in a CFP game by a defensive player with the last name Carter in that moment? I mean, I just I thought that was so awesome as it was happening. So now you got two of the most iconic plays in Georgia history. By Carter and Carter, the event planning company that only plans epic block parties, which <laughs> I'm totally here for. 
but yeah, that, that was the game for me, man. Those three plays. I know obviously tons of stuff happened, but I thought that was the shift in everything that ended up happening was, was that, and it will not get remembered that way because of the monster things that happened after that Keeley's pick six, Adani's monster catch Brock's touchdown, all the things, right? Jalen Carter's block field goal should be remembered as one of the more iconic plays in the history of Georgia football. I'm just putting that out there. That's my, that's my mission statement because outside of that, who knows, who knows 12, six and who knows what happens, right? See, for me, it doesn't necessarily come down to a sequence of plays, but it comes down to two coaching decisions that really solidified this Georgia season. One Sticking with William Poole after he got absolutely just picked on and torched in the SEC championship game and having confidence yeah. that a fifth-year senior was going to come out and improve on that game. And, I mean, really, he was awesome the last two games. Yeah. And the other one was doing what I said that Georgia wanted to do in camp. Day one, what I said they wanted to do with the offensive line, moving Salyer to guard, get Erickson out and put Broderick Jones a left tackle that completely yep. changed the aspect of our run game now Broderick wasn't great pass blocking but it gave us the actual threat of a run game as soon as we put Broderick in a left tackle Zeus had 29 30 yards on two runs so yep. it gave us the threat of a run game and as soon as that happens it opens up the entire playbook those two coaching decisions right there change the entire aspect of the playoffs for Georgia and the game on, on Monday night for the, for the dogs on offense. Let me tell you what I think was one of the bigger differences to from 12, four in Atlanta to one ten in Indy for me. Right. In my opinion, there are no more underrated and undervalued components of Georgia's 2021 defense than Quay Walker and Channing Tindall. I think they were difference makers on a level that has not gotten the justified acclaim that it should. They were both game changers in their ability to tilt fields and do things that gave opposing offensive coordinators fits. I thought they took away a lot of options and were absolute havoc wreakers all season long. Part of the beauty of what Bill O'Brien and the Alabama coaching staff did in Atlanta they removed Channing and Quay from the equation. Combined, they had three total tackles in Atlanta. And it was very obvious. I didn't, you didn't see them all night. They were not flashing across the field like we had grown accustomed to all season. And I thought that was something that was a great game plan on their part and kind of beat our game plan and on our side. Because I think the two of them are one of the keys to Georgia's just ferocious speed all season on defense and the way they've looked like they were a step ahead of every team they've played. Well, they came out on that game Monday night, and it very well could have been the Walker and Tyndall show. I mean, they led the team in tackles. I think both of them had eight tackles. They were all over the football field and neutralized that short, to mid-range passing game that Alabama had used so effectively in the first game. And I thought had them off balance from the start. I just thought it we looked a lot sharper than we had in Atlanta. I mean, we had talked about this a lot that I thought they looked a step slow. They were playing with their hair on fire all night, Monday night. And I even though it got overturned, I thought the 
sack slash non-sack scoop and score fumble set the tone for what kind of night it was going to be on defense. And I think really changed how things ended up shaking out because of everybody kind of realized, Oh, this one's going to be different than the one in Atlanta. I mean, did you feel that watching it on TV or am I making all that up? No. I mean, you could tell from TV and I told you this from the TV, from the TV copy, you could tell that the energy on the sideline was different. Yep. That just from jump that, Anytime there was anything, every time Bama was able to move the ball on the defense, but as soon as they got into the twenties, they couldn't do anything. And I can't remember. I think it was Fowler said that that was Bama's MO all season, that they're a big play offense that they can score at will, but they, they aren't one of those offenses that's going to do drive, you know, 80 yards They're They're, you know, two plays in a cloud of dust. So our defense, you know, give up the yards, who cares? But I mean, holding them to field goals, that's fine by us. And, but every time Georgia got to stop and home to a field goal, you could tell the confidence on that defense and the emotion on that defense and the sideline just growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. And I, I know the play's been talked about because we're taping on Friday a thousand times, but the play that Tyndall made the miss on the misread and um, Nakobe had to cover for him and uh, save the touchdown. And then the next yep. play, Tyndall gets the sack. And yeah, after Kobe got in his face, the play's been talked about a hundred times, but that just shows how in sync that the team really was because yep. Tyndall acknowledged the mistake. Next play, he gets a sack. There's accountability there, but there's also the raw emotion. And then right afterwards, you know, Nakobe's like, like, you know, dapping him up and everything's, everything's good. Like this is really was a team and a brotherhood and they talked about it all season and it really showed on Monday. Well, I want to ask you about another play on the TV copy that in the stadium it was very obvious but in the little bit of highlights i've seen it looks even more obvious but on the first touchdown to zeus stetson almost dropped that snap that was almost a fumbled exchange it was it was very close like on the tv copy he looks like he catches it he fumbles it it doesn't hit the ground he catches it with his ring and pinky finger it does not it was not a clean exchange but it doesn't look like it was Anything on Van Pran's part, it looks like Stetson just dropped it. Yeah, like from our vantage point in the seats, I, I looked at Chris and I was like, dude, I think he almost dropped that. And then we couldn't really tell. Maybe it was just like a hitch in the step or whatever. But the the replays that I've seen in the different highlight packages, it was definitely almost a drop. Did Fowler and Herbstreet talk about it or was it just kind of roll on because it was first touchdown or what? I think Fowler mentioned it, but it was kind of – glossed over because it was mentioned and then they started talking about the big boys. So talking about Carter and Davis and talking about the gaping hole that they made and how much beef there was. Oh, so that was the other thing I wanted to talk to you about because from our seats, we saw Jalen come in and got fired up, but we missed JD. Yeah, he was playing tight end. He was playing tight end. It wasn't until we saw the highlights back at the hotel that we realized that it was the full Capital J, capital J jumbo package. Yep. That was in, which I freaking love that. And it was a just road grader hole, which was incredible. <laughs> so yeah, that was a that was a cool play. I, I just I, that was the neat thing about the game in general, I think, is in so many ways, the way it played out was a celebration and perfect representation of who this team was. Like defense kept a minute the whole night and was the main difference maker. But then the offense also made some massive plays to bring home the title. 
And I just thought them playing complimentary football was such a perfect ode to the 2021 season. So I loved that. I don't know. What are, I mean, are we missing anything else about the game? I feel like we talked about the game a good bit. I mean, there's some plays here and there that stick out. I mean, obviously the AD catch, which live and even the replays in the game, you didn't realize how great a catch that was until the replays the next day. And they showed a different angle of it. I mean, that was a heck of a catch by him. But really, the cook block was probably the best play, best part of that play. Him picking up the linebacker. We were on the Bama sideline. So we were on the opposite side of the field from the corner that AD caught it in. So we, but the jump was on the left side. So we immediately saw the jump and the flag come out and we're both looking to go free play, free play, go up top, go up top. So when we saw James get the chip to knock the blocker, I'm like, Oh baby, this has got a shot. And I mean, great ball in a spot where AD was the only guy that could make a play on it. I thought, Bama guy couldn't have had better coverage. I mean, perfect coverage. Great coverage. And AD goes up and makes a G-Day type play. Like, that's how he played in G-Day. Just transcendent type play. And, man, that was electric. And to your point, I do feel like because of everything that happened after that, that play is not getting the shine that it probably yeah. should. I mean, that was a big nuts throw and catch, brother. Even with the penalty, I know yeah. it's a free play, but still. That was a hell of a grab. It, let's say that's incomplete. Second, that changes it from second and eighteen to second and thirteen. That's yeah. still a that's and we're still behind the chains at that point. Which realistically, we haven't played well behind the chains all night. So that's still we're still in a big spot if he doesn't make that catch. But that was a huge catch. I mean, great throw, but hell of a catch. Was it two plays before that that Kenny had the? Oh my God, I might drop it. Oh my God, it might get intercepted, but then he (laughs) caught it. I had seven seven different heart attacks on that play. That was just heart palpitations everywhere. It was like a triple bounce, maybe quadruple bounce. Yeah, that one freaked me out sufficiently. So I was glad that that turned out how it did. Yeah, it's crazy, man. Like the, The more I've kind of gone back and looked at the highlights and all those type things, the more you really realize like, that game could have gone a whole lot differently in a lot of different spots. And when you're in the emotion of it and going through it, you're not really processing all that, but now having some time to kind of separate and evaluate it, it's like, Ooh, maybe it should have been a bigger exhale. Than we realized. Yeah. Like, that, that, uh, that definitely could have shifted and gone some different ways, but well, we're almost a week out from it. Where are you at emotionally? Like, is it starting to sink in? Are you are you still living in the same joy that you were living in Monday night, or is it even greater? For me, it's greater. Every day transfers. Just so I'm I'm happy for people that are getting the chance to live out their dream, go to the NFL, or people who are transferring for new destinations for more playing time. I'm happy for these kids. Like, I don't care that they're leaving the program and going to different places like that doesn't bother me like people who are going to different coaching positions that doesn't bother me either like i'm just so ecstatic about the fact that we are in this position and this is something that is going to happen going forward win or lose for georgia this is where we want to be we want to be in this position people are going to want our players people are going to want our coaches this is what's going to happen this is what's happened to alabama for the last decade plus we want to be the we want to be in the position. We want to be the king of the mountaintop. 
I am so interested to see how this affects things moving forward. Because I feel like because of the 41 years and because of all the external pressure and the internal pressure to win and to become national champions, it's only human nature to to be a little tight at certain points. So I'm so interested to see how the 2022 season plays out. Because in a lot of ways, man, now they're playing with house money, right? Like they, they got to the top of the mountain and... They're bringing back a lot of great players and now players that have championship experience. And I think in so many ways, 2022 is uncharted territory, not just for the program, but for us as fans and followers too. We don't, we haven't felt this. A lot of us, you know, there are people that were around for 81 and 82 and 83 and, and kind of know what that is like. You and me don't, we weren't born then. So I'm excited to experience that and see what it's like. And I don't know, from a fan's perspective, it almost, I feel like is less stress to watch it because it's like, well, <laughs> they won it all like six months ago. <laughs> yeah. I can tell you what though, come, what is it? September 3rd in uh, the Benz. I'm not going to be as tight. I'm going to be happy, but I'm still, if it gets down to tight in that fourth quarter, I'm going to be just as nervous, not as I was Monday night, but still going to be just as nervous as a late November kick in Jordan Hare late in the game. That's just who I am. If it's not a blowout and we're not dominating the game, like I'm going to be nervous. All right. I know you've done it because I've done it too. 2022 schedule is, shall we say, less than daunting. Hmm. And with the talent they're going to have returning, they're going to have a very good chance to be in the bends twice next season and in the same position they were in December of this year, in my opinion. There don't seem to be a lot of potholes on that schedule if they play like they are capable of playing and if they stay healthy, which we always caveat that on this show, if they stay healthy. But obviously they are losing some very, very key pieces and players. But I still think fall of 2022 shapes up to be exciting on a separate frontier, right? They're playing now as the defending champs, which is going to come with its own pressures. And I think that'll be part of the learning exercise. But as a fan and follower, I am really excited to see that progression and to see how they step into that and play in that role, how Kirby and the coaching staff coach in that role. But I think if you're a fan of, of Georgia football, as we've been saying for what, for like two years now, The good old days are right now, brother. Like, you are living in the best time there's ever been to be a Georgia football fan. And I think that trajectory is only continuing to go up. So, man, I'm just, I'm so fired up on so many levels. And, well, let's also say, too, you and I enjoy doing this because we love Georgia and we love Georgia football. But it's also been really fun and really rewarding to get to experience this within the community that y'all allow us to have as listeners uh, with the guests that are so gracious with their time and come on and spend time with us. So I don't know, man, I just feel grateful in a lot of ways. And we just want to make sure and say thank you to everybody for listening to us two knuckleheads talk about the dogs all the time. (laughs) So yeah, man, I'm excited. We'll, uh, you know, everything's going to happen and we'll break down transfers and 
recruits and what we think next year is going to look like. But for right now, man, I'm just, I'm living in the joy and trying to stay in the high of this moment for as long as possible. And just grinning ear to ear, brother, I'm going to be smiling until somebody tells me not to. <laughs> exactly. It's going to be, it's going to take something really, really harsh for me to get me off this high. Well, we're just happy y'all. Your, your favorite two co-hosts are just happy and grinning like two Cheshire cats. So, yeah, man. <laughs> until uh, until we chat with y'all again, we're just going to bask in this national championship glow and leave you with a big old hearty. Go dogs, sick them. Go dogs. Hey, George is better now.